Well, I am excited to be here. Uh, again, so my name is Billy Gifford. I'm the operations pastor around these parts. Um, I've been a part of this family for almost a decade now, which is kind of hard to believe, you know, so it feels a little full circle for me, you know, coming here. I was a junior when I started coming here, got pretty quickly involved with Life Group, and, and now that I'm here ten years about 10 years later, you know, joining the team, helping to see the body of Christ built up here in Bryan College Station. So, I, I mean, I, real quick, I just want to honor the Hardys for just being super faithful to pour into my life. I mean, we talked about honor last week, and, and so here, here you go. You know, a little bit of honor for you. I honor you guys. Y'all have been so faithful just to, to pour into me. And so I graduated from Texas A&M in 2012. Okay, there's a few. There's a few. I, I was a, a mechanical engineer. I spent a year right after that uh, doing overseas work in Africa, some, some places in Mozambique and Congo and some other places. And then I came to Houston to actually do some design engineering. So I was an engineer. Uh, my family, I don't know, if you're an engineer, you probably get this every now and then, where something breaks and people around you are like, oh, he's Billy, he's an engineer, he can fix it. And it's just like, that's, I don't know if that's actually true. Uh, but then sometimes I would, and I'm like, oh, well, I, guess, I guess it is true. Okay, so bottom line up front, guys, today I'm talking about devotion to Christ. And my, my entire goal for this morning, I just want to be straight, straight up with you, I want y'all to walk away from this morning knowing the main goal of life. I, I want to answer the big question. Why am I here? What is the, like if someone were to ask you, what is the most important thing in the Christian life? You would not hesitate to answer devotion to Christ. And I hope I can convince you that from the scriptures. And I want you to walk away from, from this with one of two thoughts, really. One being, yes, amen. I'm so encouraged. I've seen from the word of God. And again, I don't, I don't want, y'all, here's what you don't need. You do not need another person's opinion, especially mine. It's, it's not worth much. We need to see from the Word of God what he says about it. And so I want you to see from the Word of God, okay, this is the main thing. I need to hold fast to this. Let me press on to perfection in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or the other thought that if you're just honest, is that I, I've not had that. You've said, I've never known devo devotion to Christ like that. I've gone to church, grew up my whole life in it, but I've not known Jesus like that. And I need to make a change. So, my story, I can tell you, that's not how my Christian life started. It started uh, probably similar to many's, where you, I grew up in a good Christian home, and, you know, as long as I went to church and wasn't too crazy, I felt pretty good about myself. I got saved in high school, going into high school. Uh, and, I, and I say it like this because it was, I mean, it was bare minimum. I, I didn't want to go to hell. I heard about Jesus, like, hey, there's my ticket out. So it was like a sure. I, I wasn't a yes to Jesus. It was like a sure to Jesus. <laughs> And so I said sure to Jesus, and I started, and <laughs> to skip ahead for the sake of time, it really wasn't until college, later in college, that I discovered what my Christianity really was. And it happened when I went to a, a small group at a different church at the time. Me and a buddy, we decided to check it out, and we started the small group like we do every small group, so we started to pray. And immediately, I discovered something about myself, and it was that I was a fraud, I mean, we started to prayer. I close my eyes, they pray, and I just knew instantly after I heard them pray, I'm a fake. Wow. I mean, I had prayed before. I could pray. I could fool you. I, could, I, fooled, I did fool you. I, I mean, I fooled everyone. I fooled myself. But then I saw some people, and I thought, they're actually talking to Jesus. Like, I, I've prayed. I, I'm sending voicemails to him, but they're, like, talking to him. Oh, my goodness. And it shook me. It, it, I mean, it really exposed me. And I went home that evening pretty changed just with one thought, and it was a genuine thought, and it was a genuine prayer, but it was real simple, and it was, 
Lord, I want to be real with you. Like, I have not been real. I want to be real. That's all I want. And so, let me tell you, that started my journey about 10 years ago to really press into God. And here's some, here's some really encouraging news. James 4, 8 says, those who draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And I can testify to that. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So let's dive into this. So I, I don't think we need a whole lot of definitions of devotion. I think we kind of understand what devotion is. But to summarize it, basically it means you're holding fast to this thing no matter what. Whatever the thing you're devoted to is, you're holding on to it no matter what. And so the Bible teaches that in the Old Testament, we have these things that are called types or shadows of things. And, and I'll, when I start sharing some examples, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about if you're confused by that. So Paul talks about, in the Old Testament, there's this thing called the Sabbath. There's some certain festivals, certain rituals. And in Colossians 2, 16 through 17, he says uh, that, there, that there are things that are a mere shadow of what was to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so a shadow, it's really, think of it as foreshadowing. It's something in the Old Testament that's pulled into new that represents a certain reality. So for example, some that we have all heard, so you get on the page I'm on. John 1.29, John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so there we have a lamb from the Old Testament brought into the New to represent something. It was a foreshadowing of Christ. Understand that. Okay, so another example, one that we all probably have heard. This one's actually my daughter's favorite Bible story. It's Jonah and the big fish. Matthew 12.40 Jesus compares himself with Jonah. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we see again, the foreshadowing that Jonah actually represented was, hey, Christ himself would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So one more example. This one's actually less known, but it's, it's actually tied to the verse that's most known. So... We understand the verse that's most known. John 3.16. Okay, we get it now. John 3.16, but who knows John 3.14 and 15, the two verses before it? Can anyone quote that? I mean, it's the context that actually gives John 3.16 the full picture. So let me read it to you. It says this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we have a serpent showing up in this story. What's that about? Right? So the story, you can go read it. It's in Numbers chapter 21. But in short, it's the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness and they start grumbling. <clears throat> they start complaining. They start disobeying God. So God himself sends poisonous snakes to his people to bite them and kill them. And they start dying. This is real. You can read it. And they, they, they plead with Moses, hey, help us. This is not good. And God says to Moses, I'm not taking snakes away. But here's what I will do. Moses, I want you to forge a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and have everyone, everyone who looks and beholds the serpent on this pole will be healed. And so in this same way, you know, that word for God so loved the world, it's not an emphatic, like, so. Like, I love you so much. That's not what it's saying. It's saying in the same way, God loved the world, that he gave his son. So the takeaway there in the context to make the, more, the verse more complete is that, hey, wow, I got myself into this mess. Like, I disobeyed God, and there's punishment coming for that. But he loved me enough 
to make a way. Like he loved me enough to make a way. That if I believe in him and behold Christ lifted on the cross, I have eternal life. Makes a difference. That's not actually what I want to focus on today, though. The picture I want to focus on today is actually from Adam and Eve in the garden. So we see something in there called the tree of life. And I just have to ask, does that foreshadow something? Does that represent something? 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3. <clears throat> Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He says this, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So in the same way the devil led Eve and Adam astray from the tree of life, he's leading many astray from simple and pure devotion to Christ. We need to see this. The one thing that God placed in the center of the garden that was supposed to be their source, where they get their life. For us, what do we see here? That that is devotion to Christ. That's the center. And so if I could paraphrase it today, it's, it's Paul saying, hey, you know how, guys, you know how the devil totally tricked Eve into thinking that something else was more important? I'm afraid he's doing that with you guys. That something is more important than devotion to Christ, and that's not true. That's not true. There are good things. There are necessary things, like your job. It's very important. But if that takes the center place, you've missed it. You know, the devil wasn't trying to get Eve to just, like, kill Adam one day. It was just like, how do you, you know. He, he just wanted them to doubt the word of God just enough so they would turn him away from the main thing. And so when does a Christian start backsliding? Is it when they join a cult? <laughs> or is it when, you know, they just believe false doctrine? Or, you know, the devil's all, same with us. He's not just trying to get us up in the morning, just, okay, I'm going to kill someone today. Then, I'll, then I, that's how I know I'm backsliding and falling away from Christ. He's not trying to trick you into just verbally denying Christ or to one day bow down to some false god. He's actually just working to have the center of your life be anything but Jesus. Anything. It could be your family. It could be church. It could be ministry. It could be the Bible. I mean, John 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them there's, you have life, but they point to me. It could be the Bible. That's why he says in Luke 14, if you don't love me more than your own husband, your own wife, your own child, your own brother, even your own life, you can't follow me. He has to be the center. He is the main thing. And if he's not the main thing, whatever devotion we have to Jesus, it's not pure. It's not. He wants pure devotion. And what does that mean? <laughs> that just means a devotion that is unpolluted by some other love. It's unpolluted. How many drops of poison does it take for you to pollute a glass of water? Just one. We know this. Just one. See, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives to sanctify us, which means we have all these other poisons and pollutants in our heart, and he just so wants to purify us of that. So as we, as we go in the Christian life, there's this thing called sanctification. We're walking with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is longing and is working to get rid of this other love, the love of money, get it out, the love of Pleasure, get it out. Comfort, get it out. Until all that's left is pure and simple devotion to Christ. Because that's the main thing. That's what matters at the end of the day. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says this. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. 
The Spirit wants to sanctify us from these other loves. So what would you say of a wife who is super loving, so servant-hearted, and, and, I mean, super respectful to her husband every day of the week except for one where she would run off to be with another man, you know? She would not be faithful. In fact, all of the devotion that she gave her husband throughout the week, look at the, the meals that she cooked, the cleaning, the taking care of the kids, you know what, that, that wouldn't even matter to the husband. Even if it was once a year, none of it would matter. Why? Because she didn't have devotion to him. It wouldn't matter. So the moment you start to lose your pure and simple devotion to Christ is the moment you start backsliding. Jesus says in, well, he says in Revelation to the Ephesian church, he says this. Let me pull it up real quick. Ephesians 2 He says to the Ephesians, Revelation 2, not Ephesians 2. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. So pause. That sounds like a really good church. That sounds like probably more better churches than we've even seen. They've not grown weary. They've persevered. They have hard work and labor, and they've done so much for the Lord. Sounds like they had a lot of good things going for them. But he says in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. We would describe that church as pretty awesome. Jesus described that church as fallen. And we need to see the importance of purity. And he wants it to be simple as well. You know, what, what makes it simple? Simply the fact it's a relationship. I mean, we, you think for yourself, what's, what's easier? Memorizing 100,000 rules of like, okay, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Do this, don't, and, and the do's, because there's a lot of do's we have to do as well as Christians. Or being in a relationship with Jesus where you walk in a room, or and some, the TV's playing, and, and the life of Christ within you just kind of dwindles a little bit. You're like, ah, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to watch that TV show. Or you're in a conversation and just something in you is like a withdrawal of the Spirit of God within you. It's just like, I'm not partaking in that conversation. This needs to stop. That's a lot easier than trying to remember. When someone talks about this, I need to say this. Or you walk into a room and I'm, anyone who's with a blue shirt and a baseball cap, I'm going to pray for. That's, that's, a, that's a rule. But you walk in and there's a surge of life within you that says, I don't know why, but for some reason i gotta, I got to pray for this person. There's a surge of life within you. It, that, that's what makes it simple. It's called walking by the Spirit, which we can get in another day. But <laughs> There's a story in Genesis chapter 24 that I want to highlight real quick. It's about Abraham sending his servant Eliezer to find a wife for his son Isaac. So the servant travels hundreds of miles to this land to find a woman, and he finds a lady named Rebecca. And she, you know, feeds his camel water, gives him water, and decides, yes, I'm going to go marry, marry your master's son, Isaac. I'm going to marry him. So they begin their journey back to, to Isaac. So during that time, if some handsome, young, strapping fella came along to try to woo Rebecca's affection and get her to go with him, what would that servant have done? You know, He was sent there for one mission. What would he have done? He would have said, get away. She belongs to my master's son. She's reserved for my master's son. And he'd turn to her and say, look, Rebecca, 
do not be attracted by these other guys. They will come along. It's a long journey. They're going to try to pull you away. Do not go with them. Go with them. And what if she did? Like, let's say she went more than 50% of the way. She said yes to the journey. She said, yeah. I mean, she traveled. Maybe she endured some hardships along the road. But then at one, one point along the, the journey, she decides to go off with someone else. Did she say? She, she said yes. But she missed it completely. She missed the whole point of the journey. She missed it completely. <clears throat> there will be things that try to entice us, but as Paul said to the Philippian Christians, he said, hold fast to the word of life. This is a crooked and perverse generation we're living in. Hold fast to the word of life. Don't be attracted by the love of money. Do not be attracted by worldly honor or even honor in the church. Feeling like, oh, I'm a life leader. I feel I got honor now. Or bitterness, be distracted by offense. Whatever it is, do not lose sight of why you even started the journey in the first place. We cannot lose sight of that. So let me ask the question. So when we set off on this journey to follow Christ, did we know where we were going? What was the end goal? Like we said yes to Jesus for what purpose? For peace, maybe, you know, for comfort, you know, in, in, internally. Uh, it could have been culturally. I just grew up that way. Or that's just, it's Texas. Come on, you know. But... Or maybe it's heaven. Was the goal heaven? I said yes to go to heaven. Let me read a verse in Romans 8. Well, let me pull it in my Bible. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Paul answers that question for us. Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So this verse is not actually that complicated. This is not a free will versus predestination verse. That's not, that's not what this is about. This, this verse is simply saying that when you set off on, the, on your journey, your destination was predetermined. What was that destination? It wasn't heaven, although that is a byproduct. You read the next verse, it says you're glorified. But the destination was to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's what he says. The Living Bible says it this way. It's a paraphrased Bible I like to read every now and then. It says, From the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son, so that his son would be the first with many brothers. It's like the captain saying, All aboard. Okay, where are we going? Christ-likeness. Okay, I'll say yes to that. That's what you signed up for when you decided to follow Jesus. You didn't sign up to go to heaven. That is a byproduct. But when we say yes to Jesus, we said yes to the journey of becoming conformed to the image of Christ. There are plenty of other goals, you know, like evangelizing the lost, helping the poor, fill in the blank, whatever the good things. But the main goal, the main purpose was to be conformed to his image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord the Spirit. First John 2.6, the one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. So we, we, that's, that's a heavy order. <laughs> we need to look like Jesus, but we have help. I just want to encourage you, we have the Holy Spirit. 
So I think, think of Mary in the New Testament. Why did the Holy Spirit come upon her? And it was for one purpose, to produce the life of Christ in her. That the life of Christ would literally come forth from her. And that's just a picture for us today of why the Holy Spirit's upon us. He's upon us for one main purpose, that Christ would be formed in us. We need to see this. And that Jesus said he'd be the firstborn of many brethren, Romans 8, 29, which means we need to follow in his footsteps. So the mark of a man filled with the Holy Spirit is not some experience. It's not speaking in tongues. Those are great things. But the mark of a man filled with the Holy Spirit is that he desires Christ to be formed firstly in himself and then in people. Look at the life of Paul. He says in Galatians chapter 1, 15 through 16, he says, God set me apart and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. There are other verses that talk about Jesus being revealed to Paul, but this one it says God was pleased that his son was revealed in him. And then there are verses that talk about what he labored for, what he strived for. What, what was it that Paul really longed for and worked and toiled for? Galatians 4, 19. He says to the Galatians, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul was afraid that someone else would come along and pull him away from that main goal of becoming like Christ. I mean, think of Jesus. Who, who was the most spirit-filled person that ever walked this earth? Jesus. What did he say? He said, follow me. Follow me. That is a mark of a man filled with the Holy Spirit. The main thing Paul labored for was not to get converts or get people into the church or have them serve in different places more than anything. Those are all good things. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. But his main goal was to make disciples of Jesus. His main goal was to make disciples of Jesus. And that they would have a devotion to Christ that was so evident that when people looked at them, they would see Jesus himself, which happened in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Peter's preaching, and the Pharisees are like, this guy's bold. He's been with Jesus. We want that to be said of us. We want people to look at our lives and see that we have a devotion to him so much that they see Christ himself. So many things are going to entice us along this journey. So how do we stay devoted? How do we actually have a devotion like that to where, no matter what happens, I am holding fast to Jesus? It's a good question. <laughs> when I was in Africa, I unfortunately witnessed children who would occasionally eat from the trash. They'd eat garbage, you know? And we just have to ask ourselves, why would someone do that? We, we wouldn't do that, typically. Typically. Some of the guys, if, you know, you drop some nachos in there, hey, those are still good. Let me get that back out. <laughs> so I don't know, that's not what I'm talking about. But typically, we wouldn't eat from the trash, but what would drive a person to do that? It's real simple, but it's just hunger. It's hunger, and there's nothing else around that's going to satisfy. So it's like, well, all that's around me is trash, so I'll fill myself with that. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares the story of a prod the prodigal son, and we know it. And he ends up eating pig's food, and then he goes back to his father's house, and he ends up eating the fattened calf. And I can just tell you at that point, the, the longing and the hunger for the pig's food disappeared. Why? Because he tasted something better. 
because he tasted of something that was more satisfying and greater. It met his hunger to where if someone were to say, hey, you want some pig's food? He would be like, no, ew, like nasty. And so what I'm saying is that when we taste of a love that is far greater than these other lovers that come and try to entice us, we won't hunger for the trash anymore. So then the question is, how do we taste of that hunger? How, how do we taste of that love? How do we actually taste of the love of God like that? You're like, yes, I want that, but, but how? Again, the Bible gives us an answer for that. Thank you for the Bible. 1 John 4:19. <clears throat> we love God because he first loved us. You see, some of us love God so little because we haven't really seen how much he's first loved us. When we got saved, we, we kind of treated as he got us out of a speeding ticket. We're like super thankful. Like, I don't have to pay the penalty and do defensive driving for hours, but it wasn't enough to change your life. Or maybe it was 10 years ago when you got saved, but now it's like, yeah, that was awesome. That was a good moment. You know, I'll go about my day. And so we don't see, we're, we're missing something. And so let me just tell you, Jesus did way more than get you out of a speeding ticket, okay? This is when we're going to get real. Let's preface. We're getting real, okay? He saved you from hell. Like, you were actually on your way really fast to an eternal separation from God. Do, do you know why the Bible says that the gospel is offensive? It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Christ is described as a rock of offense, Galatians 5, the cross is described as a stumbling block. Why? <laughs> well, simply because this. Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but to sinners, but sinners to repentance. The gospel is offensive because it starts off by saying you're a sinner, and people don't like to hear that. People like to feel good about themselves. <laughs> Or, or rather, they'll say, you know, everyone's a sinner, and they kind of sweep it under the rug and nullify any personal responsibility. And I'm just saying, he, he came for sinners. And that simply means his arms are open to those who are humble enough to realize their need, those who are humble enough to realize their own depravity, his arms are open for them. People don't like hearing that. This, might, this is interesting. Herod in the Gospels, I don't know if you knew this, Mark chapter 6, verse 20 it actually says he enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. Herod, the kill the babies Herod, he enjoyed listening to John the Baptist until John the Baptist called him out on his sin. Then Luke chapter 3, 19, throws him in prison. He's like, I like that guy preaching. You're a sinner. Go to prison. But that's us. We don't like to hear that. You know, we, we say, like, I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. I was I church up, upbringing. You know, I didn't do anything crazy. Okay, if that's, that's what you believe, then I, I guess Jesus didn't come for you. He came for sinners. Like, <laughs> you know, we, we have a way of dividing humanity into categories like by race or religion, you know, Jew, Gentile, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, whatever. Jesus has two categories, humble and proud. Humble enough to realize you're a sinner, you need saving. Or proud enough to say, actually, I can work my way there. I can totally do it. We need to be humble. You know, there are other scriptures. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, all those who are weary and heavy laden, if you're sick and tired of being defeated by sin, if you've got that heavy burden of your own self-defeating life, come to me. 
But if not, if you feel great with life, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if that invitation goes to you then. Isaiah 61, he says, he came to set prisoners free, to open the eyes of the blind, to let loose the captive. Well, if you're not a captive, I guess, I guess <laughs> do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. So we were by nature a child of wrath. We were headed full steam ahead into a complete and eternal separation from God. Do you remember? I mean, some of us, we started following Jesus a long time ago, but we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that our, our predestined place was hell by our own rebellion. But he saved you. We need to remember that. He saved you. You didn't deserve to be saved. There's nothing flattering about you. You, you didn't deserve his kindness, but he did it anyway. He did it anyway. You thought your righteous deeds might help you, convince him to spare you of any coming wrath, but it actually added to your penalty. There is, known, there is none righteous, no, not run. One, Romans 3 says. And also the price he paid wasn't small. We, we, we tend to think of the price that Jesus paid as just a physical death. And I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to minimize that. <clears throat> he died a terrible, painful death on the cross. He was crucified. He suffocated. He had nails in his body. But was, is that why he was shrinking away? I mean, there's this, in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says he was in agony, pleading with God, saying, if, if there's another way to let this happen, let's do that. Let this cut pass. He was in agony to where it says he's bleeding, he's sweating blood. We've never been in agony like that. So what was it? I, I can tell you, it was not physical death. Jesus would die a thousand physical deaths for you, no problem. I mean, many, many martyrs have come after Jesus joyfully singing to be burned at the stake for Jesus. So what was this agony about? You know, have we understood this? You see, when Jesus came to this earth, <clears throat> for all eternity, he was one with the Father. All eternity. When he was on this earth, he was one with the Father. You read the Gospels, you see his attention, his focus was the Father. I thank you, Father. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I see, hear the Father say. It was all about the Father until, until this one point in his life where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he literally called Father, he called God Father his whole life until this moment. The agony that Jesus was going through was for the first time in his life, he would be separated from God. He valued fellowship with the Father more than anything. More than anything. You know, sometimes we don't, most times we don't value it like that. But Jesus did. He valued fellowship more than anything. And he said, if there's a way that I can get through, we can save humanity without me having to take on the sin of the world, thereby being separated from God forever, and suffering the punishment of eternal hell, then let's do that. But there wasn't another way. Do you see how much he loved you? (laughs) What I'm saying is that when we get our hunger met with the love of Christ, these other loves will fall away. When we see actually how much he loves us, when we see the cross and what actually took place there, not a, yeah, he suffocated, but the penalty that was ahead of us, we need to comprehend that. These other loves of, of money, of, of pleasure, of, I mean, you name it, offense, entitlement, all these things that come to tr- distract us from our pure devotion to Christ will fall away. I'm not saying it's going to be a walk in the park. 
If you're a Christian for more than a week, you know that. You know that there's a battle. Galatians 5 talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that we, they, they wage war against each other. But when you have a fervent devotion to Christ, you will choose to be led by the spirit. You will want to be led by the spirit. You'll say, what's the spirit saying? I know my flesh wants to yell and be angry. But what's the spirit saying? Oh, he wants me to be humble and quiet. Okay. And when the handsome young fellows try to come and attract you, you can say, no thanks. I found a greater love. I found a greater love. And you'll stay on that narrow path of devotion to Christ, being conformed to his image. That's the main goal. If we miss that, we've missed it. If we miss that one first true love with Jesus, you can serve at church all your life. You can, read the, you can memorize the Bible. You can go and plant a church. You can be a missionary in a foreign land. But if you have not love for Christ, you, you'll, you'll be surprised when you stand before him one day. I, just, I, do, I, I, I care for you guys. I don't want any of us to be surprised when we stand before Jesus one day. To be like, whoa, I thought that I had it. I thought I was right on. And he, him say, yeah, but you lost your first love. And so I just plead with you, do not lose your devotion to Christ. If, if you hear me say anything today, that is the main thing. We must hold fast to loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we can go ahead and get the band to come on up. We can, a little early, but that'll be great. We'll close up. Jesus warned us that in the last days, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, that sin would so abound that the love of many would grow cold. He says that. And I just, I just want to say we're living in those days. The love of many is growing cold, and we need to be watchful. We need to, we need to be watchful over our hearts. We need to see what has crept in and slowly, just even one tick off, just slowly drawn us away from the love of Jesus. We have to be watchful. And we also have to realize that our standard is actually not what we see around us. It's not church, not even this church. It's not even churches around us. Our standard is what he's revealed to us in the word of God. That is our standard. It has to be our standard or else we will be surprised, like I said. We'll be surprised when we stand before him. And so I just, if, if, if you lose anything, if you lose everything, don't lose this one thing. Do not lose your pure and simple devotion to Christ. So go ahead and y'all can stand on up. As we close out, if you, have feel, if you feel like you have like strayed away from this narrow path, there's actually some really good news for you, and that's you can return. <laughs> you can return. The bridegroom's still waiting. Isaac is still waiting for Rebecca to arrive. Even if she goes off, slips, and falls in the mud, and she's all dirty now, guess what the Holy Spirit says to you? All right, let me clean you up, get you back on the track. Here we go. The good news is that no matter how far we've strayed from this narrow path, as long as you're still living and breathing, you can return. And he wants to clean you up. Even if you've gone off every 10 minutes, you go off. You get muddied, and he cleans you. You get muddied, he cleans you. He is faithful. He's, he's going to help you. It's called grace. At some point, you'll be convinced, wow, I'm so weak. I cannot follow him on my own. Come to that conclusion sooner than later. Because <laughs> the Bible says, 
his, his grace, his power is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient for you. So just return to him. He's, he's still waiting for you. The bridegroom is still longing for you. And if you say, if you say you've never fallen into this category of being devoted to Jesus like this, if you're honest, you're just like, I've been to church. I've been coming to Antioch maybe for two years. And I've never really had a devotion to Christ where I, I clearly knew that's all that mattered at the end of the day. I just want to say, start today. I know it's COVID season and people aren't starting new things. They're like pulling back. It's like, I'm not going to go to class anymore even. But the door for salvation is still open. I plead with you, come to him. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in Christ for forgiveness. Be baptized. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's his promise. That is his promise. So whatever else goes on in this life, hold fast to that pure and simple devotion. So I want us to pray. Just in our response, I just think, simple enough, I just want you to ask the Father, and just in your mind's eye, just imagine, kind of look down and imagine, is there mud on me? Have Have I, like, has another love crept in? Whether that be a blatant sin, where it's really obvious, or whether that's something hidden, like, wow, I've really put career at the center of my life, or my own family. I've really just, that's become the center. And I just want us to ask the Father, is there another love that's really taking place? And just invite him into that place and say, Lord, put me back on that narrow path. Put me on the narrow path. So, Father, I thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Jesus, that you have not abandoned us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that we can turn to you no matter what. I thank you, Father, that you've put before us your word, which shows us clearly that if we don't have Christ, we don't have anything. Jesus, I pray that you would rekindle the fire in our hearts, that specifically for this church, Antioch College Station, that we would have a fire burning in our hearts again. That if we had it 10 years ago when we first started, I pray, Lord, that we would have it again today. That we would not lose sight of that one thing, that main thing, Jesus, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you convict those who don't have that and show them the beauty of a life lived with Jesus at the center. Show them the beauty of it. I pray that people would taste of the love of God with Jesus being the main thing. Lord, would you give us a pure and simple devotion to Christ today. And Holy Spirit, give us the grace and the power to hold fast to Last thing I'll say, just coming to my mind, there's a parable in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus says, you know, two, two people come to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and the Pharisee prays, Lord, thank you that I'm awesome. But the other guy, he bows his head before a holy God, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That guy went away justified. And the Bible says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who humble themselves will be exalted above the penalty, the power of sin. If you're sick and tired of being defeated by sin and living for yourself, come to Jesus. He'll set you free from that. He'll give you eternal life. And he'll give you a helper along the way to make it to the end. Because we need to make it to the end. Our bridegroom's waiting for us. 
We need to be pure. So we love you, Jesus. We worship you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.